A reading from, a le- from the letter to the Hebrews. Therefore, brothers and sisters, holy partners in a heavenly calling, consider that Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in God's house. Yet Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that would be spoken later. Christ, however, was faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if we hold firm the confidence and the pride that belong to hope. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Oh God, may the words that proceed from my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. May we understand, God, that this house has been built by you and we are your house. And God, we, like all of creation, are good. Amen. I was thinking the other day about how many houses I have built over the years. Being that I'm not a carpenter, nor is anyone in my family, that may come as a strange statement. I suspect, though, that you, too, at some point, are a bit of a carpenter. I've never really noticed it before, but most of the school memorabilia that I've had growing up is about houses. They're projects of houses. I have a replica, a cardboard replica, of a house that I created in fifth grade that looked like it needed an emergency trip to the craft store the night before it was due. I have a serving spoon holder, actually, that I made for my mother once in school uh, that the tip of it was a painted house. I also have a variety of houses painted on canvases or designed with the swirling string yarn. Perhaps it was just the ease of designing a house, the lines that fit together, um, or maybe it was just the familiarity that that's what I passed every day to school that would cause me to duplicate it so many times. Not only did I replicate these houses in structure, but I also practiced the management of a household and the design of the inside as well. I played house with my friends in the neighborhood So many times that my neighbor's cat finally got used to us trying to put clothes on it and put it in a baby bed. (laughs) And I'm sure all of my playing of house also was infused with the cultural norms at the time of what a house should be like or how it should be run. But at least all of that role play gave us a chance to envision what a household may look like, especially one that involved people that were not blood kin. We don't know much about the letter to Hebrews that we read today. We don't know much about its date or even its author, but the writer, and perhaps to the speaker, designed a space for a house. 
It was outside of what the cultural expectations were for that time. It's the house that God designed, whose presence echoed through the walls. And the author of Hebrews writes an encouragement to the congregation, maybe perhaps even to our own today, that we are the house and Christ is still over us. As I alluded to earlier, the letter of Hebrews may not in actuality be just a letter, but instead a sermon. And the audience that is listening is tired. A commentator to Hebrews, Thomas Long, writes this about the congregation. He writes, The preacher is addressing a real and urgent pastoral problem, one that seems astonishingly contemporary. His congregation is exhausted. They're tired, tired of serving the world, tired of worship, tired of Christian education, tired of the spiritual struggle, tired of trying to keep their prayer life going. Chapter 12, verse 12 tells us they are so tired that their hands are drooping and their knees are weak. Chapter 10, verse 10 tells us that Attendance seems to be down at the church, and because of it, morale is waning. So Long goes on to say then that the threat to this congregation is not that they're charging off in the wrong direction. The threat here is that worn down and worn out, they will drop their end of the rope and just drift away. So then the author crafts this plan to lead the audience through trails of reminders, through scripture of God's involvement and of Christ's provisional leadership and empowers them as a people. So today we pull up a chair right here, chapter three, to hear what the preacher has to say to this group and perhaps even what the preacher might have to say to us. The beginning, the very first verse, perks up the soul of the hearer in this sermon because it addresses them as partners in the heavenly calling. This is not just a synonym for believers. This, rather, is a call to remember the covenants that were made upon entry into the body of believers. It's the same calling that was given to the apostles and given to the prophets, a call to be set apart. They were set apart in their expectations of thought and action from what was demanded of them by their social surroundings at the time. Just like churches today, I suppose, that the body of believers there was put under some scrutiny of performance according to the missionaries' expectations. Paul admonishes many of the different churches that he visits that they don't fit exactly the cookie-cutter idea of what the early church should look like. And we know that there are other missionaries involved in coming to this particular congregation because it says Timothy will be coming soon and even the group there in Italy greets them. Each visitor could perhaps come with their own mold and standard for what the congregation should be. And we hear that the congregation is just tired. We thought that judgment and clicks and the what's in and the what's out fizzled out after adolescence. Sure, some of it appears in our workspaces today and even in our families. 
But we would hope that the religious sector then does not house any of that. It's an escape of those judgments. But in all actuality, what has happened is that those judgments have merely become baptized or they have made it possible to have a similar judgment just by a different standard. So it's still there and present. It just looks a little bit different. You've heard these judgments before. I'm sure judgments of churches in general, something that might sound like this. Well, the Bible says to make disciples of all nations. And, well, you know that church has only baptized a handful in the last few years. Or maybe it might sound like this. I've heard that they just hired someone nearing retirement. What's that going to do for them? The church of the 21st century is subject to this scrutiny. And it sounds like the church of the 1st century is no different. So what then proceeds is the preacher setting up a homiletical move that will beg the question to them, so you're exhausted from doing church? Well, whose formula for doing have you let become your master? So then the sermon proceeds to be an attempt to answer that question. Some scholars have deemed this a jewel sermon, as you'll notice the jewel reference in the title of the sermon today. A jewel sermon is one where you take a concept and like you were looking at or scrutinizing a jewel, you turn it so that all the facets can illuminate what you are looking at. So he attempts to answer their question, and in doing so, it's almost like chasing it around this central point. So first off, they are thinking, well, who has it? Who has been the one that has given us the formula for this doing of church? First thing that they offer, well, Moses, perhaps, because of Moses' faithfulness in establishing a nation that follows God to erect this tabernacle, then, where God sits. But craftily, the preacher responds back, Moses was a servant in God's house, honored, yet set lower than Jesus. Then the next facet illuminates and it comes to Jesus. And then the preacher says, Jesus was faithful over God's house, but as God's son. So then with yet another turn of the jewel, the question is asked, then God? God is the builder, the architect, and the owner of the house. And in a climactic point of the sermon, the preacher suggests but there is no house without you. Jesus was a faithful stakeholder in God's house, and Moses was a faithful servant in God's house, but you are God's house. It's an empowering claim, actually. He's saying that it takes the builder, the heir, the servants, and the organized believers to make the house the congregation is a stakeholder in the formula for doing so. I think that means that the author was a good Baptist, autonomy of the local church, perhaps. We are justified by our faith. There is no justification through social interactions. Meaning, 
Although there is a certain kind of dependency on the finances that we have, on the pew sitters that help us to finance things, on the organization that it takes to keep these doors open each week, and to make sure that we still have the sign out front that reminds us of who we are. Although those are necessary, that's not what classifies us as a church. It's our heavenly calling, according to Hebrews. Church is community. It's a group of believers that covenants together, committing to the development of the stakeholders involved towards a common purpose or goal. That purpose is to create a space for the kingdom of God to happen here. So whether we're online or offline, whether we sing on key or off key, sorry Ray, I'm the off key one, whether we serve regular or decaf, whether we're a little bit quirky or we're more mainstream, our church status, whether we are church or not, is not determined by what our religious peers expect of us. It's our heavenly calling that gives us the standard by which we operate here. So then, what's the blueprint for how we do church? Let's look then to verse 6 for what the preacher describes. He says, We are his house if we hold on to the confidence and the pride that our hope gives us. Wear your courage, the preacher suggests, in the hope of God's intimate love to come to you. It's kind of like when you see people wearing these very bold articles of clothing and you think, wow, I could never wear that. Often it's the confidence behind the article of clothing that allows it to work well. So if we can transfer that into what metaphor he's giving us here, it's kind of like saying, hey, house, be well built. It's not arrogance to say that. Rather, it's courage in the assurance of the artisanry of the builder. Take pride that the artist has built something well, and what we have established here among us is good. The church does not operate because we show up each week and we're here to make it run but rather it operates because God is here. That's the purpose why it was established and the reason why we show up every time we do. God has built it well. And if we too find ourselves in a bout of fatigue, either collectively or individually, we find that all of this doing church is exhausting, please be comforted in the fact that it's been well built from its design. And there is hope in the nearness of God here with us that brings renewal and strength if, if we live into the part of being community. Now, we here at McLean Baptist have a mission vision statement that describes um, our current identity well. It begins by saying that we are seeking to be an inclusive community. If there is nothing else from the passage that we have read today to hold on to, and I encourage us to hold on to this, let us not forget in our attempts at being inclusive to include ourselves. 
By including ourselves, I mean that we allow ourselves to embrace us for who we are and what we bring to the community. Not just as individuals, what we can each bring to McLean Baptist Church, but what McLean Baptist Church can bring to the community of faith as a whole. If we look at the outward perceptions, then we're just looking at the landscape. But when we we pay attention to what the Spirit is doing here, then we're looking through the lens of our heavenly calling. Now, I began today by saying that I'm not a real carpenter of houses, but I do distinctly remember one particular house that I built from wood. The man who lived beside me when I was growing up in the primary grades had a workshop, a woodworking workshop in his garage, where he leisurely crafted things for his friends and his family. Under one of the tables was a small cardboard box that contained scraps of wood left over from his projects. I had a standing invitation to go into his workshop, after asking, of course, and getting a bottle of wood glue off of the shelves, and then taking the scraps of wood from the box and making whatever I would like. So one afternoon, my babysitter and I went over to his house, asked permission, and then began work on a piece. I don't know if I set out to make a house or not, because when you take pieces of wood putting together, you don't ever know what you're going to come out with. But nonetheless, like the other pieces of memorabilia that I had at that time, it was a house yet again. And my babysitter was diligently gluing together the pieces just as quickly as I could hand them to her. But I remember, clearly, the best memory that I have of that time, the sight of a piece of wood that I discovered in that little box that left me spellbound. I picked up that little round piece and I handed it carefully to my sitter, who in turn picked it up and put it up to her eye as if it were a jeweler's instrument looking at a gem. I don't really remember much else about the house, what it even looked like. All I can remember is that little piece and where it got placed, right in the middle, a window on the second story of my little house. That little piece made everything. It was unique. Oh, it was unique. It had its perfect place. And to me, it was good. I can't help but think that we, we as individuals, and more importantly, we as McLean Baptist Church, that we are like that little piece of wood found in God's wood shop. We are unique. We have our perfect niche in the kingdom of God. And in the confident admiration of God's creative work in us, we are good. Let us pray together. God, we know that we are unique. Each of us brings something different to your kingdom. God, in this body of believers, as it functions as one, we have our own identity, not just in the community of McLean and surrounding areas, but also in the greater vision of the church. We pray, God, that 
today, we're able to recognize and realize that we bring something special to your kingdom, that no other worshiping body of believers is able to contribute just like we do in the exact same ways, and so we are necessary. Remind us too, God, that you are the one that built us. We know that we are well-crafted and well-built, and your spirit resides here with us. We have plenty of stories of your provisions through Moses and the characters of the Old Testament and the New. We also have the comforts of your son, Jesus Christ, who is master over the house. But God, empower us today as the preacher empowered those from Hebrews that we, we God, are the house And we are empowered to live out your kingdom as believers. Thank you for the gifts that we possess. Whether quirky or mainstream, they are helpful and needed. Let us be bold in actualizing them. It's in your name we pray. Amen.